0: I'm in a goofy mood this week because I'm off of work. I took a week off. I told work, I'm like, I'm going to Chicago. My wife has a professional development, blah, blah, blah. None of that is true. I'm cleaning my (laughs) apartment really slowly.
1: (laughs) Hell, yeah. (laughs) That rules. Oh, that that fucking rules. Yeah. i mean i've actually been kind of in a weird mood i don't know with like the, the ups and downs of uh, what's going on i mean like because the the cuban family code passed which uh was a little bit closer than i expected but then mm-hmm. again i also don't know the the can like the actual like makeup of of cuba's population in regards to like you know the family issues and such like something I was, i'm learning through all of this process watching a lot yeah. of
0: breakthrough well, news and, and like stuff. you don't li- you don't live in havana you we live here yeah. where like the the news that we get if it's in english and if it makes it onto our like our our feeds on social media is even if it comes from our like fellow leftists is unfortunately a very very slim and often unfavorably tailored selection of like the real issues coming out of any socialist country but especially cuba which is like I don't know, for as much as Cuba seems like the, the token, like, acceptable socialist countries to a lot of, like, soft socialists and progressive Dems and stuff, I feel like by the same turn, as if, if you even go towards, like, the, the quote-unquote center of American politics, all the old 50s and 60s, like, nonsense comes back up in like a half a second and they're even more scared of it than they are of china
1: well and i mean like i don't know the one uh, i've been watching a lot of reporting and breakthrough news has been doing like actual interviews like um they released yesterday an interview with the uh was it it was either like the president or one of the leaders of the um the like the lawyers union in cuba Oh, and um, and going over all of the different aspects of it, and uh, it was really super interesting to to get to hear the whole process because that th- the whole thing's been going on up till now
2: for two years. They have been doing this whole democratic process for like two yeah, years. Because well, mm-hmm. I mean, this that's where you get into like the areas with the libs where you can't win because like when they did the referendum three years ago in 2019 to vote on the new constitution like the party had proposed as the original in the original draft of that constitution, including like a lot of the stuff that's in this family code in the constitution, including same sex marriage. But when they took the draft to the people, that provision specifically was controversial enough. And there was enough opposition within the populace that they're like, okay, well we don't like, we want to vote on this whole thing. And there's a lot of, so we'll take this out. And we'll, when we do the whole revamp family code, We'll do it then. Mm-hmm. So, like, when that constitution was then ratified with, like, 90% success, which included, by the way, you know, constitutional protections against all forms of discrimination for people, like, on sexual orientation, on gender identity, everything. Like, mm-hmm. like the most progressive anti-discrimination protections, maybe in the world, at the very least in the Western Hemisphere, but because it didn't have the same-sex marriage like qual like law in it, there were people who seized on it to be like, see, see the the Communist Party of Cuba is homophobic. Yeah, well because that's- they listened to like because it's one of those things like they could have just if they if Cuba was actually a dictatorship as people talk about it, like mm-hmm. they could have just imposed their draft constitution on the country. And they didn't do that. And they went and had hundreds of thousands of meetings in the same way that then As you were talking about, Lena, for the past several years, they've been holding meetings and consultations and comment periods. They got, I think, like – Seventy-five thousand comments or something that they incorporated from all over the country well
1: and uh, i mean a lot of the the media that i've seen at least in the western media is like really fucking weird like oh can you believe that cuba is voting on same-sex marriage and and just like really like kind of patronizing style coverage but then also like distilling the entire thing down just to gay marriage as if like that's the only thing in the whole thing with yeah there's like over 400 well, articles in it or something like that
0: uh, and there's also a really interesting phenomenon happening there where it's like i think if you're a, a, an american liberal and you're you're viewing this you're like well uh, the the people couldn't have possibly like had trouble with this issue because the people are always more progressive than the government, you know, the popular right. opinion just comes from nowhere and is correct <laughs> all of the time. And it's just like what the fuck are you talking about? Like yeah, a lot of things that the US government isn't willing to do are are common sense issues that are popularly supported by a broad swath of the population because we have a regressive state. If exactly. you have a progressive socialist state, it is often going to be a little bit out ahead of popular opinion. Right. in terms of what's commonly considered progressive or good sense or, or you know, his, being on the right side of history, yada, yada, yeah. yada. Well, and and so it, it just, it, there's a lot of cognitive dissonance when Americans mm. try to understand Cuban politics. It reminds me of when Republicans were getting upset at unionists in Northern Ireland because they thought they were trade unionists. Oh
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. well, and, and I think that it also is kind of, there's the ambiguity of like, why did it take two years to do this? It's like because they were talking to people because there was they they are ahead it is it is a progressive like program that they Mm -hmm. actually need to go and communicate with all of the people and because otherwise i think that at least it was in the interview that i watched they were a little worried that it wouldn't pass if they didn't go out and speak to
2: everyone and get everyone's opinions on it right well because like it's like why did it take this long because cuba is a democracy like they're not a fake democracy like under capitalism like yeah. where you or, have people vote every four years on you know which wing of the bourgeoisie gets to oppress them. Like, oh, like well, they did in now, Italy, just Italy just a minute ago. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, so now we have uh, uh, I guess I don't know if they're literal fascists, but uh, they are basically uh, all of the pr- all of the aspects of fascists, uh, including like just specifically being the most far right since you know
2: I mean they more or less claim the legacy of Mussolini so I, I mean yeah. whether they're yeah. explicitly calling themselves fascist or not I don't think is as important as their like program Yeah. Which well is. I mean
0: I, Alessandra is, is a member of the party right yes. or is she a member of the mm-hmm. other con- okay I thought so she's a member of that party and it, it does seem like this party is kind of following in the footsteps of the AFD in Germany yeah. where it's yeah. like okay it's illegal to call yourself a fascist party and they're like okay gotcha we won't call ourselves that <laughs> and then they dust their hands off done finished right
2: (laughs) well and they're also like the second european government in the last month to Mm -hmm. to like elect a far-right party that might as well be fascist because sweden just did the same thing yeah and and of course,
0: not my Scandinavian social democracy. <laughs> <laughs>
2: right, exactly. That's the thing. Everybody's just ignoring that because the because the governments are pro NATO and they're right. pro involvement in the war in Ukraine. So everybody's just like, no, no, it's there. There, there's so many apologies in like Western media because there was that like, what is it? The the New York Times like where you see the changes in the headline mm-hmm. because they did one of those like specifically relating to her getting elected and the headline was georgia maloney is extreme but she's no tyrant <laughs> like, <laughs> they're on what the, they're on the
0: side of democracy they're not fascists they support the Azov battalion what right. the fuck are you talking about like <laughs> i mean yeah. that's like the real that's the real issue with the whole russia ukraine war is i mean All of the issues that we already know about, but also like conservative and fascist and regressive political parties around the world, especially in the quote unquote West, are using it as a springboard to just like tighten their control or establish their grip on various governments that until now were at least nominally kind of not exactly fascist.
2: Yeah, and, like, meanwhile, that's happening, and we're holding up, you know, Sweden and Italy as, like, these bastions of European advanced (laughs) democracy. (laughs) Meanwhile, you have Cuba out here going to the people, literally, having—I think the number was 80,000 town halls on that family code. And then you have, like, Western commenters trying to figure, okay, well— we have to say this is bad, but we can't just come out and say it's bad because we're against gay marriage. People will get mad at us. So how can we say this is bad? And so I saw this comment because you see people refer, I saw like the headline, I think it was in CNN referring to this as a quote, unusual referendum. Oh yeah. <laughs> like, what does that mean? And then, so they, they went and they got a quote from human rights watch we're talking about why the referendum was bad, saying, quote, the fact that they are asking people what they think about the rights of a minority shows they don't really understand how democracies work. What? <laughs> <laughs> they are they are arguing that the system in the united states by which rights only accidentally fall out of supreme court rulings by nine unelected council of elder members <laughs> is a more democratic means of securing rights than having Town meetings where literally every citizen of the country is allowed to participate.
0: <laughs> God damn. Well, before uh, we stumble too much further down this rabbit hole, this is John <laughs> Zygderman, and you're watching for the public broadcasting station Democracy Now! I'm just kidding. <laughs> this is. <laughs> Toppage, everybody, your favorite labor podcast. My name is John. I'm
1: Dan. And I'm Lena.
0: And we are your favorite socialist labor podcast. We're 100% listener supported, so thank you so much for the contributions you give us on Patreon. They go an incredibly long way towards supporting the show. If you're not in the Discord, get in there. It's free. I just had to get back in the Discord, and it was easy and free, so I can testify that it's not hard. Uh, If you are a patron and you need some stickers, you don't have any yet, just message us on Patreon. We'll get those to you. Lickety split, and if you want to oh, help, show hold a little on, bit,
1: Hold on, don't promise people too much. It usually takes me. I usually do it at the end of the week.
0: All right. Well, <laughs> if, if you if you're a patron and you need stickers, message us and we'll get them to you in five to ten business days. Uh, <laughs> if you want to help the show a little bit more, you can leave a five-star review wherever you think it will help. Just type it into your Google incognito search bar, and then your employer and your ISP can look at it. Uh, <laughs> That's right.
1: Oh, shit. Oh, but we're going to
0: jump back in talking about the rail workers who have been holding some informational pickets and a potential strike we might see out of the machinists on nine twenty nine. That's only three days from the day of recording.
2: Yeah. yeah. Um, so, like, so 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 as you said, John, like... You know, obviously, despite the fact that the media has pretty much moved on from this issue, mm-hmm. uh, this is very much remains unsettled, despite uh, you know exactly, you know, like the messaging from the Biden administration. Like, as you were saying, uh, last Wednesday on the 21st, workers held informational pickets really like at, at, at rail sites all over the country in Reno, Kansas City, Seattle, Oakland, St. Louis and a bunch of other places. And they were like held, holding these specifically to inform like other fellow railroads. Rail workers, As well as the general public of issues that <laughs> some of which we've gone over that workers have with a lot of the, the, the stuff that's come out of the tentative agreements and specifically the fact that they don't seem to actually address the key issues that the workers were and appears remain ready to strike over. And mm-hmm. Like, so they were handing out flyers that specifically said, quote, the freight railroads have abused us and the communities we serve for far too long. The railroad infrastructure is a ticking time bomb and the lack of rail workers has been has made us unsafe situation even worse for the cities and towns that we run through. We're not done yet. We'll keep struggling for justice until rail workers and our communities are safe.
0: Yeah, and they do seem to be doing that, despite like the incredible amount of, of time delays and roadblocks that have been thrown yeah. in their way. So the two biggest unions, BLET and Smart TD, which we've been primarily talking about up until this point, have both extended their cooling off periods in the face of this tentative agreement. But there are other unions who might be you know, prepared to, to come out and do some actions much sooner. So the third largest rail union, the Brotherhood of Maintenance of Way employees, who we have mentioned in passing a couple of times, will be voting on this uh, TA in just a couple of weeks with votes ending on October 11th, and if the BMWE workers reject this tentative agreement, a strike for them becomes an imminent possibility. And I gotta say, way to go, Brotherhood of Maintenance of Way employees, for getting your votes ended by October 10th. That's a really tight little timeline uh, for being the third largest rail union.
2: Yeah, I mean, there are clearly political considerations that were taken into account for the two big ones, for Mm -hmm. BLET and Smart TD. Uh, Like, I understand that there is a lot of legal work that had to be done from their lawyers to get everything, you know, in the right language to finalize the TA. But we're looking at, like, vote, like votes being finished for those two unions in November, maybe mm-hmm. even as far out as December. And that just, I'm like, this is to get this past the midterms. Like, that yeah. is absolutely a big part of that. Because, again, like, The Brotherhood of Maintenance of Way employees is a really big union. They're not quite as huge as those other two. But if they could get their votes out in a few weeks, I don't really see why the other two couldn't have. Uh, And I think when we get into the fact that there were political considerations in here – a lot of that comes into what's actually in these tentative agreements because we did finally get some more real concrete information about that over the past week. Specifically, those the tentative agreement that was signed with those two biggest unions, we finally got some of the details on how these tentative agreements address the problem of sick days. Because of course, as we've discussed, that was one of the single biggest issues that was pushing these workers towards having to strike. The fact that they, you know, pretty much couldn't take time off. From work to go see the doctor without getting fired. And so now, you know, they negotiated this tentative agreement to try and resolve that. And it looks like a lot of the rumors that we heard about what was going to be in this deal were pretty much correct. But there's even more details that go along with it that make it even shittier. (laughs) So, specifically, what these tentative agreements include as far as how to address. Uh, the issue of attendance policies is that it does provide workers with one additional paid personal day per year <laughs> uh, and three unpaid sick days again, unpaid. And so if that's where we stopped, I would already say Bad deal. doesn't really seem like a great deal. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I would, I, w- I would totally understand the-, the real workers still being very mad and wanting to strike. If that's all the information. But it's even worse than that because those unpaid sick days are heavily restricted. They have to be scheduled 30 days in advance. (laughs) So if you get sick and have to go see the doctor, but it's not so bad that you have to go to the hospital, you either have to wait a month... Or go and risk still being docked attendance points and potentially fired. So, like, again, if you get, I don't know, say, COVID, but not so Mm -hmm. bad that you get hospitalized and you need to go get a prescription for Paxlovid or something, this unpaid sick day doesn't do anything for you. And in addition, if the 30-day advance wasn't bad enough... You specifically have to schedule these appointments on Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. Any other day is unacceptable.
0: That's fucking so, deranged.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous. And, uh, yeah, like, that's supposed to be the way that they resolve the problem of these attendance policies. It's, it's crazy. I-
1: I'm a little surprised, uh, although maybe I'm not uh, that these things can even become tentative agreements in the first place. I it really feels yeah. like there is a lot of weird pressure going on there, and uh, I don't know. But at least the workers themselves are are you know standing up to a lot of this bullshit.
0: Yeah. And I mean, a big part of the problem, I think, is how many people there were at the table hashing this TA out. I mean, like you had Sean O'Brien in there and then you also had Joe Biden. So, I mean, like no matter how militant you are as a labor leader, it's got to be pretty intimidating when the president of the country comes and sits down or, or one of his representatives comes and sits down. So, I mean, I do think, unfortunately, the pressures of like, liberal politics have, have kind of gotten in here a lot. Especially when, when like you said, Dan, it's like in what universe does scheduling an unpaid day off in the middle of the week only, 30 days beforehand, help right. you plan your life at all? Like even if you have like I, I guess if there's a wedding you have to go to, but that right. doesn't even help you get to a funeral, which is insane. And like so you have responses from the workers themselves. You have Michael Paul Lindsay, who's a member of B L E T in Idaho, who told the New York Times he was very disappointed in the detail of the TA, saying that the 30-day time frame for scheduling doctor's visits was unacceptable, and that the terms were l- unlikely to have a positive practical impact on workers, which you can also read as, uh, the details are unlikely to convince the workers to vote for this bullshit.
2: Exactly, yeah, so, like, I mean, we, it's, it's so hard to predict, because, like, as you were sa- alluding to, there's so much political pressure on these workers to accept the TA, because there, there's that pressure from Congress of, like, if you don't accept this TA, we'll blame you for the strike, mm-hmm. demonize you to the rest of the country, and then try and impose this on you via, like, legal action. So, right.
0: And maybe uh, even Ronald Reagan you.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think that would work, but they'll certainly threaten it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But, well, and, I mean, as you kind of
1: alluded to at the beginning of the segment, John, uh, the actual part—I mean, like, this is— could end up being some sort of rolling strike. The actual ways that this mm-hmm. strike could manifest are, are really going to vary with the uh, machinists themselves b- having their cooling off period ending this Friday. Yeah. I mean, they could launch the strike immediately and mm-hmm. then cause, because of the way that the uh, workers are able to not cross picket lines, they could actually shut down massive parts of the rail industry. And I mean, Jonah Furman, uh, one of the reporters that we you know take reporting from very often, m- noted that the 1992 rail strike was also started by machinists. So, yeah. I mean, it's very likely that this could be the first one. And as other contracts are, hap- are, are working out, there could be more strikes. I mean, this could be a bunch of strikes throughout the rest of the year, maybe even into January.
0: Yeah, I mean, even with all of the liberal maneuvering, all of the, the political and, and legislative kind of uh, trying attempts to force these workers to stay at work or to go back to work. I mean, you have a quote that uh, Chaz Smith gave to Jonah Furman. Chaz is a machinist's worker near in Kansas City, who said, quote, the machinists are pissed enough that I believe we will strike if there's no progress made by the deadline. It's not about wages. Which is like, that's the real clear as a bell message that I'm hearing from these workers over and over and over again, is that they're pissed that the media and the government and the employer are trying to make this about wages when everyone who works these jobs knows damn well it's absolutely not about wages.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So of course, you know, we will keep following this because this is going to remain a major topic uh, because the way this is structured, it really only takes one of these unions to strike to cause a massive disruption. Mm -hmm. And so we're we're definitely going to be sticking with this story over the next couple of months. But Moving into sort of a bit of a, a lightning round for follow ups, just sort of check ins on a few issues that we've been covering for a while. Uh, we want to start out with some stuff going on at Amazon. So several, it's now been several months since the union lo- loss at the LDJ5 facility. at amazon has in staten island which is like more or less like in the same neighborhood across the street from like the jfk 8 facility uh if we you know reported on that back at the time if folks want the details on how that vote played out there is an older episode where we discussed that but so the there were many ulps filed as a part of that voting process. And the NLRB has just now gotten around to issuing a complaint regarding that election, specifically aimed at one of Amazon's you know, very common union-busting tactics, which is an incredibly obvious violation of the NLRA, and yet partially due to low resources and partially due to it being an arm of the U.S. government, it's taken months for the NLRB to process the fact that uh, Amazon's not allowed to just unilaterally tell workers that they can't post organizing, uh, related materials on company, uh, bulletin boards. Like we have, we've discussed that specific, um, provision within the NLRA quite a bit. I mean, we just talked about a similar issue with Geico workers last week, which of course Geico responded to by simply removing all of the bulletin boards, Mm -hmm. but Amazon didn't do that. Uh, Specifically what these incidents refer to is you had pro ALU workers going into the break room, which is again a non-work area as defined by the NLRA and posting, you know, union organizing flyers to the non-work bulletin board, which is again, concerted protected activity under the NLRA. But it is unfortunately taken a couple of months for the NLRA to get around to reviewing that complaint. And they have now finally looked at it and said, oh, yeah. The workers are right. Uh, They shouldn't have done that. They shouldn't have forced the workers to take the organizing stuff down. And so we're going to issue a complaint against Amazon to to tell them that they have to revise their management policy to make it clear that they don't prohibit – specifically their policy around anti-solicitation, which is the excuse Amazon used for getting rid of the material. And so now they're being – ordered by the board to revise that policy to make it clear that the policy does not prohibit organizing activity and to make sure that supervisory and management personnel have to go through a training on federal labor rights and yeah and this, this so this complaint will either be uh, agreed to in some form by a settlement with amazon as some of these have been in the past or they could of course drag it out and force it to go before an administrative law judge later this year
1: what I find to be the most insulting about that particular ruling is that, you know, there's all of this blatant union busting and now the workers are still in there one year before they can have another vote. And even yeah. then, I mean, they shouldn't even have to have another vote. They should just be automatically recognized. I mean, both of those options being, you know, I mean, automatic recognition or forcing another vote similar to the Bessemer uh, right. Situation. I mean, both of those are even more acceptable than just this slap on the wrist of 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 what is it? Uh, you know, sensitivity training to their fucking <laughs> yeah. managers. Oh my God. Well, that's
0: the thing. It's not even a fucking slap on the wrist. It's less than that. It's a complete fucking misdirection as to where the origins of union busting are. Union busting is not located in the management guidelines. Right. <laughs> the the people who ordered these workers to take down the materials should be ordered to be fired by the NLA rb or worse but that shit is never ever <laughs> going to fucking happen
2: yeah i mean this is this is one of those places where again if if we were to look for an a a solution within the confines of bourgeois democracy this is a case where like the joy silk doctrine would help out these workers because mm-hmm. it's one of those cases where you have clear interference in an election campaign by a, a company which would then lead to a understanding of okay well you fucked with an attempt to have an election so now we're issuing a bargaining order <laughs> because yep. you lose like, yeah you could have let this go through like uh, like without interfering illegally with it and you might have won but you didn't do that you fucked around with it from your position of power as the employer and so we're just going to say that the union won that would be the the logical response to this but i mean we'll see if that doctrine, you know, ever actually gets reinstated, well,
0: I mean, that's that's how we handle it in like sports matches and every other place where people are always whinging about fairness and they're and they're getting down to the nitty gritty about how to make yeah. something fair. It's like, look, minor violations can be handled by minor, you know, uh, uh, punishments, but if you if you violate a major part of the rule set, a core rule, you have to forfeit the match. And it's like, exactly, why haven't we brought that back in fucking union organizing?
2: Yeah. A hundred percent. So, I mean, we'll see. Even if this, even if they don't take it to the law judge, this settlement is so minor that, like, I, I mean, Amazon could probably just be like, "Yeah, sure, we'll do this. Who cares? This isn't going to mm-hmm. stop us from interfering again." Right. So, yeah.
1: well, and then the the Teamsters have held a rally out there trying to call out Amazon uh, because on Tuesday, the September twentieth in Seattle, there was over a thousand Teamsters who showed up. From the union's women's conference uh, and marched on Amazon's corporate headquarters. I mean, Sean O'Brien out there doing his fucking awesome militant, uh, you know, sh- shouting, uh, you know, uh, agit prop saying, uh, you know, calling Amazon a white collar crime syndicate, saying uh, also, Amazon should be afraid. The Teamsers are here standing shoulder to shoulder with so many communities demanding change. Amazon will not bust unions and get away with it amazon will not churn and burn american workers and get away with it this corrupt corporate giant must answer to the teamsters now and we're ready for the fight and i i mean like i don't know sean o'brien gets me fucking fired up i like he's a really great speaker <laughs> well, and leader and
2: i think this is an illustration of like if i'm putting my money on one of these two groups to influence Amazon's policies, the NLRB or the Teamsters, I'm putting everything on the Teamsters.
0: Yeah. With the whole bankroll, bet it on the yeah. Teamsters. Yeah. <laughs> That's right.
2: So, Yeah. Um, And then so mo- moving to our, our next like little quick follow-up here. So uh, Case New Holland, uh, folks, mm-hmm. if, it's been – Unfortunately, it's been a minute since we talked about them. Uh, this is a case, if you're not familiar, if you're a new listener – uh Case New Holland is a company that makes uh you know farm farming agricultural equipment you know combines tractors all that that sort of good stuff that you need to do modern farming and uh for 5 months a thousand workers at cases plants in Iowa and Wisconsin have been on strike for better wages, for fair benefits, and to make the job, you know, an actual living career instead of the you know constant overtime, low wage, constantly like getting worse benefits situation that it has been there. And so, they've been standing strong on the picket line for five months. And have made real impacts on the company's production, but unfortunately, management at the company still seems determined to try and break the strike by trying by basically ref, more or less refusing to negotiate with the workers
1: also crying for like oh uh, about like the similar to how the kroger workers that we reported on before is like oh what about our competitive advantage in the um. industry <laughs> and yeah. uh and you know calling for for like the workers to to worry about the company's bottom line versus the john deere workers where i mean we have uh, a a union or yeah a union Worker uh, Andy Gar, who told the militant, "The company here tells us we have to produce more because we are in competition with John Deere. But the deer workers bring us water and food and drop them off at the kitchen. The president of their local calls us regularly to ask if we what we need. Workers uh, from Conagra have been down here, as have the nurses. And I just like I think that this particularly highlights how." the real contradiction between the owning class and the working class and showing that like the John Deere workers don't give a fuck about John Deere or Case New Holland when yeah. it comes to specific preferential bullshit over you know their their competitive advantage they care about their fellow workers there is that divide of the workers versus the owning class
0: that's yeah, it and I- I mean, these quotes from the workers really show that kind of like clear-eyed conviction that they have. But I think a real testament to that is going on strike for five months, which is a long-ass fucking time. And I mean, you, you hear that kind of sentiment echoed again in a quote we have here from Nick Guernsey, president of UAW Local 807 in Burlington, Iowa, who said that no matter how long it takes, they will not try to force any kind of concessionary deal onto their members. And his quote starts, quote, if this offer doesn't sell itself... I'm not a salesman. I'm not selling it to my members. Now, I don't feel we're being greedy. When the company makes a statement across the table, we're not interested in giving up anything we've gained. And it's like, I love that idea because I feel like one of the biggest issues that we talk, that we talk about in some kind of terms on this show sometimes is that like, if you are even nominally in a leadership role in a union, there's often a lot of pressure to try and shove mm-hmm. tentative agreements down your membership's throats. And to see people like a UAW local leader here who's saying like if the offer doesn't sell itself fuck it it goes in the bin that's like i love that energy that's the correct way to handle this
2: absolutely absolutely like a a true understanding of like that the union is the workers it's not this narrow crust of the bargaining committee it's Mm -hmm. like if the if the agreement doesn't meet the needs of the workers it's not an acceptable agreement so it's really good to see even after five months of being forced to be out there that they're still, you know, completely on that correct understanding of how to handle this like really good stuff. Also for folks who are in the Discord, uh there is a solidarity fund for the case New Holland workers mm-hmm. that I have been <laughs> periodically posting so it's it's in the the solidarity funds channel. So if you want yeah. to, you can uh donate to those folks and it would definitely be worth it the those uh those folks have been out there for five months now and, and and could use all the solidarity we can provide them
1: yeah absolutely and then in another follow-up we've got a the UMWA workers who have been on strike for over a year. And uh, we had covered how the company uh, Warrior Met had attempted to make the workers pay for unmined coal during the yeah. strike, and uh, as much as as well as a bunch of other bullshit. Because originally, the United Mine Workers of America had agreed to pay for certain destruction of, of property because they were trying to you know get away from that. We mean like there's a minor debate on whether or not you know they should have just accepted that or not. But we're not here to kind of. You know, do that. Was more concerned about that huge increase from the around four hundred thousand dollar fine to the thirteen million dollar fine, which the yeah. NLRB had actually agreed to, and has just decided to roll back from the nearly fourteen million to down to four hundred and thirty five thousand.
2: Yeah. Whew. So, like, we had talked about this at the time as like, how the fuck is the NLRB <laughs> agreeing to this? Uh and honestly I think it's really just because of the publicity and the pressure from like all the other major unions cuz even like the teamsters who are not involved in this strike at all right. like they have nothing to do like with with this but they came out at the time and were like this is ridiculous <laughs> like the NLRB cannot be agreeing to stuff like this and we stand in solidarity with the mine workers in their refusal to pay this extortionist like, $13 million fine that they had come up with, which was going to cover stuff like paying for the security guards who have been attacking the strikers. Like, it was perverse. Yeah. Like, so, I yeah, I mean, you, you can get into arguments over whether they should have made this agreement in the first place. I don't really think that's germane to anything. But I. it's very good to see that the pressure brought this back down to the $400,000, which if folks are wondering, like, what this is about, it's it's because basically the the company alleged – that during picketing, workers had caused damage to company vehicles, and so they agreed to this settlement as a way to avoid like attempted criminal prosecution and and constant cross examination of these workers, and just said, "Look, whatever, how much is the damage to the, the, that was supposedly done by our workers and they gave them an estimate of four hundred thousand dollars and said fine we're the we're the u m w a we got we can pay that that mm-hmm. and then they came back with this nonsense, so thankfully, it looks like the pressure has forced the n l r b to be like Okay, fine. We, we, won't, we won't put this absolutely absurd deal on the table. We'll go back to what we originally agreed to. So that's, that's definitely a, a good piece of news um, for some folks who have not, unfortunately, gotten a lot of good news over the last year and a half. Yeah. yeah,
0: well, I mean, as long as we're talking about companies that are no longer experiencing the leeway they've become accustomed to, <laughs> uh, we can talk about Chipotle and their insane rash of child labor violations, which I the, the story that we're following up on now, uh, well, not even following up, is this the first time we've talked about it?
2: I mean, we this talked one about it. It is. I threw it in here because I kind of viewed it as a follow-up to their previous massive fine.
0: (laughs) Right. Because previously it was in New York City, right? And now it's in New Jersey. Uh, And and this week New Jersey announced a settlement reached with Chipotle where the company has agreed to pay $7.7 million to settle over 30,000 violations of the state's child labor laws over the last five years. This is an average of $256 per violation. And if you run the numbers on how much money food service industry corporations make per violation... It's a hell of a lot more than a couple hundred bucks. And so these violations mostly orbit around Chipotle scheduling minors for too many hours on school days and not giving them their legally required breaks, which is like if you've ever had a job that you were trying to balance with school, you'll know this happens all the time at places like Chipotle, McDonald's, Starbucks, blah, 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 grocery stores, whatever. So this settlement requires the company to hold a mandatory training for staff on New Jersey's child labor laws and hire a child labor compliance officer to... To ensure that they follow the law again th- i don't even really see this qualifying as a slap on the wrist this seems no. like um armed security guards in schools kind of non-solution to a problem
1: yeah yeah i mean yeah. i would at this point i mean i would encourage people to print out this article and go hand it to your local chipotle workers because i bet that they're gonna ex- they've been experiencing the same thing regardless of where they are in the country
2: yeah, yeah, because like this, this is a mostly coming out of an article from from Jersey dot com. Um, they mentioned in there that this is not the first settlement that the company has had to pay for violating child labor laws. Uh, just a couple of years ago, in twenty twenty, they also settled in, with Massachusetts for violations of labor law, though for a much steeper penalty per violation on that one. For for fifty similar violations of the state's labor law, they paid one point four million dollars in compensation, and now that's the amount. Per violation, that I feel like if we brought that up, we'd be doing, you know, maybe these fines would have a bit more of an impact on company behavior because at this rate, like you can do the training, you can, you can chastise them and be like, and, and you can have your press conference as a prosecutor and be like, look, we're holding corporate uh, malfeasance accountable. But like a $7 million fine for 30,000 violations of the law, like, is that really an incentive? For Chipotle to not break the law, it was the same thing with the violations in New York City. $20 million fine for 600,000 violations of the law. Like That's just disgraceful. Give the Chipotle franchise to the workers that exactly. like, these laws were violated for. Now, maybe then you'll start seeing some changes in behavior.
1: Yeah. Well, and I guess uh, in the thought of changing behavior, uh, since the queen has been dead for a little while now, finally. <laughs> they... <laughs> <laughs> the the strikes that had been postponed by the RMT are going to commence again on October first, where mail workers, train workers, dock workers. Uh, I mean, there's a there's a, a list here of over 170,000 people. I mean, nearly 200,000 workers will be going on strike. On October 1st.
0: Yeah, so they decided to suspend some of their uh, strike actions, the RMT, during the mourning period, which is like, I'm not an expert on British politics, but I do kind of feel like maybe you didn't have to do that. I don't know. Maybe you did. Maybe royalist sentiment Uh, among the British public is still really strong. I don't fucking know.
2: (laughs) From what I've read, unfortunately, the monarchy remains very popular. God damn it, England. (laughs) Yeah, I don't get it, but... So I think from a political perspective, unfortunately, that might have been the right move. Mm-hmm. So I don't I, – like we don't live in England. I don't want to be overly critical of the RMT of that decision uh, without, you know, having a better understanding of the context there. Obviously, you know, they should get rid of the monarchy because having a monarchy in 2022 is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> come on. But anyway, more importantly, on October 1st, as you, as you were saying, Lena, we're going to have 40,000 RMT members. 10,000 train drivers or unionized with Aslef, 115,000 Royal Mail workers, and 2,500 dock workers at Liverpool and Felixstowe. We, uh, we previously talked about a, a week long strike at Felixstowe earlier in the year. So, shutting down those two ports will stop 60% of Britain's container traffic, along with all of its rail traffic and the mail. So, like, these are not just. 200, almost 200,000 people going on strike. It's 200,000 people in incredibly critical industries. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a major day of industrial action. And, and so, like, and, and it's in response to the fact that, you know, they've been having these big one-day strikes, or in the case of the dock workers, like one-week strikes. And yet, the Tory government has held firm and is continuing to refuse to pay the workers a wage that continues to rise above the rate of inflation mm-hmm. and so like you have uh, like we have Mick Lynch giving a quote explaining this saying Transport workers are joining a wave of strike action on October 1st, sending a clear message to the government and employers that working people will not accept continued attacks on pay and working conditions at a time when big business profits are at an all-time high. The summer of solidarity we've seen will continue into the autumn and winter if employers and the government continue to refuse workers' reasonable demands, end quote. Got
0: He's so great. He's so fucking plain spoken. I think that's my favorite thing about Mick Lynch is he doesn't like resort to jargon or anything. He just like gives it to you as quickly and and directly as he can.
2: Yeah. He does a great job of just laying it out there. And so, and this is really like, cause there have been overlaps in some of the strikes before, but never this many, this will be by far the single biggest day of strikes. And along with that, Part of the reason for that is on October 1st, that's a day that major utility rate increases mm-hmm. are going to be implemented in England. I mean, people may have seen some of the crazy numbers. I know I saw somebody saying that like, some, a person whose uh, like usual utility bill was around 100 pounds is now expected to increase to like 350 pounds. So yeah. like, it's an absolutely wild rate increase. And so in conjunction... With this industrial action, there's a protest movement group in uh, the UK, Enough is Enough, specifically about the cost of living crisis, who are planning to coordinate nationwide actions on that same day. And, and they've specifically issued demands for pay raises for all workers to keep, to keep up with inflation, housing, uh, higher taxes on the rich housing for all, food is a human right, and, of course, lower energy bills. And so they're planning to hold rallies in London, Birmingham, Manchester, Glasgow, Cardiff, Leeds, Liverpool, Nottingham, Hull, Portsmouth, Plymouth, Norwich, and Bristol, all of which are also towns that uh, have analogs in New England, which makes it very confusing for me reading that list. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, this is, like, they're planning on having these big rallies in pretty much every major city in Britain. And and this is one of the other things that I loved about reading this with the, from this protest movement, is that they are specifically encouraging protesters to join these picket lines and show solidarity with the striking workers, which, like... If you've never listened to the show, <laughs> like, one of the things we have said so many times is that to get real change, to really be able to have a strong working class movement, we need that unity of not just union to union solidarity, which of course we need, but also between unions and the broader social movements, and this is really moving towards that sort of thing, so this is, I think, a really encouraging development to see for the working class in England.
0: Yeah, I mean, this kind of stuff really lights a fire under my ass. We've said so many times on this show, I can't even count, like, not in these exact words, but like, you need to politicize unions, and you need to unionize politics. Maybe that's not mm-hmm. the best phrasing, but it works, <laughs> and <laughs> it's like, to see this actually fucking happening, I, 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 two thoughts cross my my mind, which is like, way to fucking go, you know, Britain. This is incredible, and also how fucking bad have things gotten in Britain? My God,
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, when, with their inflation schedule already at, a, I believe, about twelve percent, and potentially as the winter hits and you know natural gas rates shoot through the roof, potentially hitting as high as eighteen percent, like by the end of the year. I mean, this is just, it's literally just getting to the point where workers are having to choose between food and being able to heat their homes. Right. And so when you put people in that situation, uh, a situation nobody should have to be in, it becomes a bit easier to see those contradictions. And so it's really good to see like this many, like hundreds of thousands of people being like coming together to just tell the government yo, fuck off with well, all this. Hey, like, n- nice, yeah, nice
0: countrywide infrastructure. You got there. Be a shame if we stopped operating. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: I mean, I don't know if their, are uh, you know, their winters are anything like winters in the United States where there are moratoriums on shutoffs on things like heat where, you know, basically what happens is people rack up giant bills. And then in the, in like March or whatever, when that cutoff is over, the, all of those bills come fully due and people lose their housing. And basically have to move, and then there will be a you know another houseless, uh, an an exacerbation of the houseless crisis in the new year. I mean, like these people have to win, and and they deserve to win, and and it's the only option.
2: Absolutely. So all solidarity with these workers and these protesters. Really encouraged by this, and really looking forward to seeing the impact that this many people fighting for the same. You know, goals is going to have on October 1st. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then we're going to be moving to a
1: huge strike that is happening. It's currently happening, right? Just uh,
2: started today. Yep.
1: Just started today at the San Francisco airport where uh, a, thousand, a thousand workers who basically work in all of the different food uh stores, you know, whether they be they're basically all franchisees of, of all of the major yeah. food places, whether it be like a Burger King or whatever bullshit. You know, they're they're all unionized with uni- here Local Two, and uh, they are making $17 an hour in San Francisco where the MIT living wage calculator says that for a single worker with no kids in this area, it costs twenty five fifty per hour to survive Mm -hmm. and have a living wage. And these workers have not seen an improvement in their conditions. But also, these workers have a little bit of a history of actually going on strike because they had previously gone on strike in 2014. And uh, and had one major improvement. So I, I don't think that these workers are very shy about showing and flexing their power.
0: Well, certainly not shy about it. I mean, they voted nearly unanimously 99.7% to uh, yeah. authorize a strike in the future all the way back in August. And uh, this is definitely fallout from the fact that these are workers at 82 shops and restaurants that have been trying to, to uh, bargain with the operators of the airport for over nine months and have received basically nothing from from their corporate overlords.
2: Yeah. And and, and that's the other thing. That's cuz that's one of the things with this strike. It's not as if this strike came out of nowhere or they like did this in a rush as you were right. saying. 9 months of negotiation with no response. Then just uh like about a week and a half ago on September 16th, they held a big protest at the entrance to the airport where 41 people were arrested for sitting down in the roadway to block traffic. And I mean, and so like Breakthrough News was there on the ground interviewing workers. And one of them really much laid it out exactly what these workers are fighting over when they told Breakthrough, quote, they end up working 16 hours a day. It's really unfair for them. For me as a single parent, I only get to see my son once a week. Jesus. And
1: I just watched the movie, which I'm not going to spoil for for our movie time episode that's coming up later this week. And it really just just screams, uh, you know, this sort of exploitation. I I don't know. I'm excited for that, but also uh, watching that last night, it was fucking heartrending.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So so after you know these nine months of negotiations, trying to get the the companies to come to the table, and then the big protest like about 10 days ago, still not for getting the companies to come back. Then this morning, they basically like, look, we tried. We told you literally what we need to survive, and you refused to listen. So we have no other option. And so those 1,000 workers have now gone on strike as of this morning. And, and yeah, Anand Singh, who's the president of Local 2, told uh, SFGate – the workers' compensation is currently not enough to live on. The employers have not moved nearly enough to get to the place where we can make a deal on a new contract, and that's why we've had to go down this road. End quote. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. It's
0: something that we hear all the time. And I do like SF Gate, but I think I like SF Gate Atlantis a little bit better.
1: <laughs> Damn! Oh wow! That, all right. Well, nerds enjoy enjoy your jokes. Uh. <laughs> yes. All right, uh, so in our next story, we are going to be talking about the uh story. continuation of why I actually don't feel bad for small business owners <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, this story is nuts <laughs> like I, it, I, I John, you and I were talking about this mm-hmm. a little bit in the chat yesterday. It's like every every paragraph you got to in this story, which isn't actually that long, just gets crazier and crazier like. So this is about a business in Waterloo, Iowa, and this is from a story in the Iowa Capital Dispatch, where there is a lawsuit against this company, Powers Manufacturing Company, which makes athletic uniforms. They are being sued by a former HR department worker, actually, uh, Sabrina Martin, for the company's role in her losing her job and for the fact that the company was engaged in a bribery scheme to try and get rid of their union.
0: Yeah, this is like super deranged. So uh, according to a lawsuit that um, Sabrina Martin filed last July, the company's CFO, Chief Financial Officer... Actually, directed her to tell specific workers that they would get raises if they got rid of their union, which is Local 431 of the UFCW. The company president, Grant Widener, also promised workers rewards if they helped decertify the union. And by the end of the year, they succeeded and got the union decertified. And Basically, nobody would have found out about this if it weren't for the fact that company management was sloppy and cut a lot of corners to save money. So in addition to illegally bribing these workers to get rid of their union, they also attempted to come up with ways to evade other labor laws at the same time. And so during a December holiday shutdown of the plant, Martin was told she would have to use vacation time or apply for unemployment. Like... It's one thing when you start getting into like labor news and stuff, and you're like, "Wow, that's a blatant violation!" Wow, that's a blatant violation. They don't usually come six in a row, one right after another, (laughs) within the span of like a few weeks, like
2: (laughs) unless you're Starbucks. Well, yeah, that's true. Then they come in or Chipotle, I guess. Yeah, that's true too. (laughs) But yeah, so after being told that she would not be paid for the company shutdown, when of course she doesn't have the option to come into work. She actually contacted the State Department of Labor, which honestly, I'm like, that's a step I don't know that a lot of people would know to do, so like. Good on her. Smart well, move.
0: And, and probably a lot of uh, HR people would have been instructed specifically to never do.
2: That's true. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, and she was told by the Department of Labor that it's, in fact, illegal for the company to deduct wages from salaried workers during a company-wide shutdown. And so that actually forced the company for the first time to pay all their salaried workers during the plant shutdown, which elicited a rather angry response Mm -hmm. from the management of the company. Uh, Martin says in her lawsuit that the company's CFO told her that the president blamed her for the company having to pay salaried workers (laughs) during the shutdown. He told her that the company was then considering either reclassifying all salaried employees as hourly, not having a shutdown in 2022 or just forcing salaried workers to Work through the shutdown, all to avoid paying what is assuredly a pretty small staff of salaried workers because this is not a big company right? for one week during the holidays. Well,
0: and that's like the most hilarious thing is threatening to make all the salaried workers hourly. Like, you won't, coward. There's a reason they're salaried. If they were hourly, they would cost you a lot more every year because you would either have to to hire more or uh, pay them a lot of overtime.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and so this finally came to a head when the company CFO asked Sabrina Martin to confirm the accuracy of false statements that he planned to make regarding another lawsuit. So <laughs> this is just getting into the incredible management of this company uh, from another employee against the company for violating the, fe- uh, the family medical leave act. And Martin refused to certify his lies as true. Uh, good, because that would, you know, bringing make, that would have made her party to the lawsuit. Mm-hmm. Um, And she then quit the next day After calling in sick And just to add insult to injury The company then claimed That she was in fact fired For not showing up to work So doing the You can't quit You're fired <laughs>
0: Like yeah, I love getting so, rabbit seasoned, duck seasoned after dealing with yeah. a bunch of labor violations.
2: Which <laughs> yeah. I actually
1: don't understand because, from the company's perspective, wouldn't they need to continue pay- paying for her unemployment then if she yes, was fired? That, like, there's so, they're fucking. This
2: is, this well, is that's wild. the thing I thought was so funny is it's is, is that that means that it's pure malice. It's it's not like a, a thought out way to try and screw her over. It's literally just because they're li- they don't want her to have the last word on her quitting. Right.
0: So they're. Not not only revealing that, yes, they are very evil, but also they are very dumb.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, exactly. Well, because that's the thing. If they'd waited, if they had gotten mad about having to pay these salaried workers, and they just waited a couple of years, Mm -hmm. which, again, would not have cost this company really barely anything, and then tried to pull this bullshit, it probably would never have—no one would have ever found out about their scheme to bribe the workers to get rid of the union. But because they piled— like law like it, illegal action on illegal action crime on crime all of this is now in this one big lawsuit and so like uh we, i mean we'll see where this goes once it gets to a judge if there's actually like a settlement or something i'd be but, surprised like, if
0: they didn't crawl across the courtroom floor and try to pick the fucking judge's pocket while
2: they're at it <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely but i just wanted to highlight this this story because i mean Rarely have I seen such an example of the psychosis of the American small business tyrant as this one. So this is fucking wild. Yeah, this one
0: blew my mind when I read it. I couldn't believe it. Well,
2: and I mean, to move to
1: more of our our, uh, bread and butter these days, we are going to be covering yet another newly organizing. I mean, kind of. I mean, I'm sure there's been organizing at this before. But uh, as of now, this will be the first filed home depot workers union uh where you know we've seen so many new major chains like experience organizing that had previously just been known as like giants of union busting that are mostly insurmountable but in philadelphia uh workers have filed to become a union
2: yeah at Home Depot. Yeah. So like Home Depot, of course, like folks are, I'm sure are aware is one of the biggest companies in the United States. I think they're the fifth largest, uh, employer in the country. It might be six. It's somewhere in that area because they have over half a million employees, oh, man. But like, like I mean, as, we, when, as, when
0: you think about the, the population of the U S we have like what? 325 million. That means like roughly like one in every 650 people works for Home Depot. That's a lot.
2: <laughs> yeah. And it's actually even like when you get into age differences in people who aren't working it's it's in the workforce it's even it's even like more than that so like but of course you know much like a lot of the other members of that largest employer in the country you know ranking like walmart target amazon yeah amazon uh they have been some of the harshest union busters in the comp in the country and so there aren't for the moment any unionized Home Depot stores, but with this story in More Perfect Union from, you know, uh, one of the show's most uh, frequent sources, Jonah Furman, he actually interviewed uh, one of the lead organizers at this store, Vince Quiles, on the conditions that led them to start the unionizing process. So, Quiles is a worker at the store in Philadelphia, and he was promoted uh, with no training (laughs) to running the store's plumbing department. And he recounted a story that I think sounds very typical to anybody who's ever been inside a Home Depot, uh, where he's talking about after being promoted with no training, said, quote, I can't tell you how many pictures I would see like, bro, how do I fix this? I would have so many people get mad saying, if you don't know this, why do you work in the plumbing department? I was like, if I knew this shit, I would be a plumber. Not making nineteen twenty five an hour as a supervisor.
0: Yeah, I mean, I had a friend, who, I had a roommate, actually, who worked at Lowe's for many years. And he worked in, like, flooring and then lighting and then plumbing and then accessories. And you know what his specialty was? What he went to college for? He was a fucking gunsmith. They don't even sell guns at that <laughs> Lowe's. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. And so, there, yeah, there's this expectation that these workers are just supposed to know all this stuff because they work at the Home Depot. Right. But But Home Depot doesn't provide these workers any of that sorts of training. And also, of course, in addition to that, Home Depot pays its workers as little as they can get away with like at this store the starting wage is only fourteen fifty an hour which is less than walmart <laughs> and 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 he's like vince quiles in, in, in the report specifically talked about the fact that like there's a there is a walmart in the same like like shopping area as this home depot and people have left from the home depot to go work for walmart mm-hmm. which if people are leaving your business to go work for walmart That is an indictment of the working conditions at your business because it's not as if working at Walmart is like a joyous place to be. Uh, So, I I mean, he also points out that this is all coming at, of course, the same time that Home Depot is making money hand over fist. In 2021, Home Depot spent 15 billion dollars. On stock buybacks, which are, of course, that's just payments to stockholders. Mm -hmm. So that is just giving $15 billion to stockholders in addition to the $7 billion they gave in investor dividends. All while the company saw massive, consistent turnover at all of their stores because they don't pay their workers anything. They don't train them, and they overwork the shit out of them. Well, and this
1: store itself made $30 million in profits last year.
0: Right, well, yeah. and, and we hear all the time from big corporations, little corporations, whatever that like if you have an issue, if you're a worker and you have a problem with the way things are handled you should just come and talk to us personally and we can resolve this one on one Well, Quiles fucking tried that He went and talked to management, even had a meeting with a regional vice president and suggested some ways that they could take some of the money and improve conditions at the store. He suggested getting powered machinery like forklifts to make moving heavy things around the store easier and less dangerous, to have trans Translating for Spanish speaking customers, as well as normal everyday improvements like higher wages. And this went, as you may expect, exactly fucking nowhere. The store instead <laughs> offered him a promotion to the management track, which, like, <laughs> if you've ever watched a labor movie, that's always what they do. They're like, what if we yep. just promoted you specifically, Mr. Identifies Problems? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. But, but having, like, you know, a couple of brain cells to rub together, Quiles turned it down, not wanting to abandon his coworkers. And he said, quote, if I move up, I'm basically just going to be fucking over the people that I'm cool with, that I go to work with every day, who talk to me about their families. And I'm supposed to look at these people in the eye when they ask for a raise and say the company can't afford it. I love yeah, that. What a great That quote. is
1: a really, really uh, kind of class consciousness that we don't always see. And especially because when, you know, when you're offered a bunch of money... And you've been fucking working for 925 or 1925. uh, You know, it can be a little uh appealing, but, you know, the work conditions themselves make the difference here. I mean, when you have workers that you care about, co-workers that you care about, you don't want to abandon them. And obviously, this guy knows what he's uh, he knows that kind of shit.
2: Mm hmm. Yeah. Absolutely, and he specifically cites the examples—the uh, example of Chris Smalls in the ALU, inspiring him to reach out to the NLRB and, and find out how to organize his store. And so an he's been organizing one. there for. I,
1: I I don't I don't mean to interrupt, but like reaching out to the NLRB to figure out how to organize is a new one for me because I, I know lots of people like yeah. reach out to unions or like you know the radio you know the the local labor program or or something like that but to the actual NLRB itself that's a, that's a one that I find kind of rare
2: and and so he's been organizing for the you know the past couple of months getting cards together uh, a few weeks ago the company found out about the organizing drive and of course immediately spun into action deploying a union busting campaign they sent out employee surveys promising improvements which that might be a ULP uh depending on how it was written. Mm -hmm. Uh, although they probably use their lawyers to get around that. Um, Mm They brought in extra managers. It's very, that's the Starbucks move uh, started holding captive audience meetings. The, the Littler Mendelssohn classic uh, and conducting one-on-ones to try and convince workers that the union would not help them.
0: Oh, bingo. Um, I just filled out my uh, union busting bingo card. <laughs> I got yeah. a diagonal line.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I know. It's, 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 it's everything we see from the playbook that everybody rolls out. and, Home Depot has long been considered one of the most anti-union companies in the United States, which is, you know, that's a, that's a competitive, uh, you know, field to be in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then so there was a, a story I was looking at that it was uh, leaked last year where an employee actually just t- on TikTok leaked a video of this un- anti-union training that he was required to take. And in it, it's got, it's it reminded me so much of the stuff that we saw from Target. Uh, with the anti-union training that they force workers to sit through, it's got all the all the hits claiming workers don't know what they're signing if they sign a union card. If third parties the union that they're this evil outside organization, fear mongers about oh they could charge you hundreds of dollars a year in dues, and, and they also and this it's, it was funny watching it because you could tell that they clearly like ran this by their lawyers because there's nothing in there that's explicitly. Against the NLRA, but there's a lot that's very implicitly <laughs> against it because the 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 training heavily implies that union organizers will just brazenly lie to workers about everything. Mm-hmm. It's like they'll, they'll promise you stuff they might not be able to deliver, <laughs> <laughs> which I'm like, I don't know. Every time we see stuff from like union organizers, I'm like, oh, they seem like they're pretty much just telling folks how it is. And it's the company that is lying to the workers uh, essentially a hundred percent of the time yeah and and of course they roll out this the classic one a union is a business that only makes its money by collecting dues from the workers again attempting to basically portray the union organizers as just greedy and trying to come after the hard-earned money of the workers very much in line with that 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 goofy anti-union placard that I think Delta was handing around a couple of years ago, which are like union dues can cost $700 if you could, you could use that $700 to buy a video game console instead. Oh my
0: God. That's like the funniest one to me too, because the math is so easy to figure out on that where it's like, if the union only even got me a $1 an hour raise, Right. I would make that $700 back in a year easily.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. And so, despite these attacks, you know, the organizers at the Home Depot in Philly are optimistic that they will not work uh, on. And actually, it's funny, they've already moved into the giving out new benefits phase mm. of the union busting campaign because uh, on Friday, the 23rd, Quiles posted uh, on Twitter, that suddenly workers at his store had been given an extra 40 hours of sick time. That weren't there before the union drive, and huh. so Quiles also explained in that article uh, how people have been responding, saying, "Quote: Now it's funny. Corporates walking around the store and talking to people, and they think they're doing something, but it's backfiring. People are like, oh, we filed for a union. Now you care.' Uh, I love that too because, like, it's such it it's
0: a testament to the cynicism and like the poisoned uh, like social perspective on unions in this country that a company can be threatened by union activity, give you benefits in response." And then claim that, like, that's a reason why you don't need the union. When I feel like if if people had anything even approaching a labor education, they would immediately recognize the union gave you that. Those 40 right. hours of extra sick time, that's a direct consequence of, of workers standing together in solidarity and nothing else.
2: Exactly. It's just like, I mean, if, if, if folks have had a chance, if, if you're if you're a patron and you've had a chance to listen to our interview from last week with Alicia Humphrey from Starbucks Workers United, it's the same, it's right out of that playbook where, you know, Starbucks keeps being like, look, no, we don't need a union. It's, it's great. Look, we're giving you all these extra benefits. Shut up. Please stop unionizing. <laughs> and of course, Starbucks Workers United has, has done a great job with their campaign to try and explain to partners at Starbucks, like, uh, no, the only reason they're giving you these is because of the union. And the only way we can really be secure them is to get that union, because otherwise they can take it away at any time. And speaking of Starbucks... <laughs> oh, we always
0: are. Uh, <laughs> let's let's uh, start off with uh, some of the firings of pro-union workers that they have just continued to do this week. So on Monday, September 19th, they fired a member of the Lakewood Crossing Starbucks Organizing Committee in Washington. After this worker returned from maternity leave, she was told by management that if she could not provide weekend availability, she would be fired. Of course, unable to secure that kind of childcare on the weekends for her two children, she was Forced out of the country out of the company which is like that's one of the worst ones when they get you on fucking parental leave and they're like oh you need to take care of your kids say goodbye to your job like that's really fucking horrible yeah even if it wasn't an excuse for firing a union organizer which it is
2: yeah yeah like we've seen this attempt to use like schedule restriction slashing hours to force pro union workers and organizers out of the company at so many stores across the country but yeah this one just seems like to have that extra level of cruelty to it uh, where like oh i know what we can exploit you have kids that's a weakness we can target because that's exactly how these you know how the company is looking at this mm-hmm. They're like, this is a way we can force you out of the company by attacking the fact that you have to take care of your kids. And I mean, it's it's one of these, this is yet another one of those examples like we've talked about when people talk about oh, the, the great resignation with people quitting their jobs. Like a huge percentage of that is workers having to leave their job because there is no universal childcare in this country. And paying for childcare is often more expensive than the wages you're getting being at work. So- it's it, this is another way that that like the privatization of social reproduction in this country feeds the ability of corporations to then hold that over workers and use it as a form of labor discipline. It's like yet another, like it's it's just the myriad ways in which our neoliberal system attacks workers and and really makes it easier for companies to do this sort of extortionist practice. Absolutely. Yeah, and so. Uh, but you know, despite that, and we've got a, uh, we have a support fund for this worker who was fired. I will make sure to definitely put that in the show notes. I am sure she could use all the donations that anybody can provide. We definitely encourage that. Uh, but of course, despite the constant attacks, the firings, all of the various forms of retaliation, workers have continued fighting back against the company's campaign of union busting. So at the Wake Forest and Six Fork store in Raleigh, North Carolina, where a union election vote went against the union earlier this year, due that, and then that vote was thrown out due to flagrant company interference, which can, again, considering how much, companies are able to get away with without elections being thrown out. That gives you the level of (laughs) interference that Starbucks was going for there. So, you know, again, these workers are unfortunately in limbo, but the workers who had been organizing have not, they didn't just, you know, stop doing anything. So five workers went on strike at this store last week, specifically protesting harsh retaliation by management against union supporters, including write-ups for false pretenses against union organizers. So They just don't stop this bullshit, do they?
0: No, it seems like write-ups and firings under false pretenses against union organizers seems to be like their number one tactic at this point, especially at stores that are giving them uh, either legal trouble or, or just seem to be ex- uh, extremely successful in their efforts for one reason or another. Right, and
1: I guess, like, with, I mean, also ramping up is the number of actions. I mean, like, we've been covering so many actions. I mean, yeah. in uh, in St. Louis, at the Lindbergh and Clayton store, workers went on a one-day strike on Saturday the 24th to protest the slashing of hours by management and an attempt to drive out pro-union workers. I mean, like... There is, it's so consistent the ways in which they are retaliating against the Starbucks workers that I mean, it's predictable. Like, you could just be like, oh, was it, uh, was it slashing of hours? Was it firing of pro union workers? Was it other forms of, of, you know, intimidation? I mean, it's almost certainly, it's just, so consistent, the, the uh, Starbucks playbook. And then on Wednesday, September 21st, at the uh, 874 ComAv store in Boston, who had been on strike for a little over two months, declared victory and ended their strike when all, all of the demands that they had were met. So, just on the 18th, Starbucks had agreed that they could not unilaterally implement the new availability process, which was one of the things that the workers were on strike about, um, at unionized stores. And so, they actually... The, this strike has made a victory for more than just their store. Uh, Starbucks also rescinded the policy which targeted workers uh, with part-time availability. On Tuesday, the company's district manager informed the workers that he would replace their store manager due to their protests. They all, uh, he also agreed to work uh, with the needs of the workers at the store to set a reasonable schedule. That one I'm a little bit more skeptical about, but at least the guarantee sure. uh, or the uh, the. Promise is better than nothing at all. I mean, like, these workers have been on strike for over two months, so... Yeah, well, and like they say as
0: much, too, they released a statement where they thanked the community, saying, quote, Keeping our picket line alive 24 hours a day for 64 days took a village of community supporters, union siblings, friends, and Starbucks workers. We absolutely could not have done this without each and every one of you. We are incredibly inspired by this display of solidarity, and we look forward to supporting you all in the larger fight for worker power, which is like, I mean— that's fucking awesome and it's a great way to put a bow on a really really big win here a two month strike is absolutely nothing to sneeze at
2: yeah absolutely like that's a that's a like monumental win by the the workers at the eight seventy four com app store so hats off to them and the uh the level of worker militancy in the starbucks uh, Workers United movement seems to be prompting a little bit of concern from uh nemesis of the show, Littler Mendelssohn <laughs> because there was they so they had a report that came out a couple of weeks ago as part of basically. So this is one of the things that I find. So one of the, the incredibly long list of things that is so annoying about Littler Mendelssohn. they put out an annual Labor Day report. And their whole purpose of existence is attacking labor, so it's just like the the perverse nature of them doing that is already annoying.
1: Self admitted union avoidance. So I mean, that's just another that's just a fancier term for union busters,
2: right? Yeah, I mean, they should they should publish it as their anti labor day report, but like, so in that report. They say, quote, we are on the cusp of witnessing what has the potential to be one of the most pro-Union eras in modern history. (laughs) And... So they seem particularly worried about the rank-and-file organizing tactics that has seen Littler's playbook defeated in 80% of Starbucks union votes, Mm -hmm. where they continue in the report saying, quote, what was once a top-down approach whereby the union would seek out a group of individuals has flipped entirely. Now individuals are banding together to form grassroots organizing movements where individual employees are the ones to invite the labor organization to assist them. Uh oh! Wow! <laughs> no, don't who do talks that! about that! <laughs> wow!
1: Who? Who? I'm really glad that that uh, that we're seeing this sort of organizing. It's uh, it's almost like it's one of the major things that we try to push
2: here. <laughs>
0: oh no! What? Not the top down structure. Anything but getting rid of the top down structure. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's just one of those things I'm like, it's like work stoppage. Yeah, workers are doing rank-and-file organizing. littler Mendelssohn, oh no, workers are doing rank-and-file organizing. (laughs) Well, there's a part of
0: me that that thinks littler Mendelssohn is like upset about this in a way, but then there's another part of me that realizes they're just so cynical that they're like, we're going to get so much business. The more unions that happen, the more busting they need. So it doesn't matter if it's hard or if we fail, we get paid either way.
2: Yeah, Yeah, I mean, that's one of the... The beauties of being mercenaries for the ruling class is, mm-hmm. you know, they're always going to be able to pay you. Right. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, and I mean, like, even if they are, because this is not a private, you know, list, uh, you know, article right. that they put out. This is literally on, on I think it's on their website, uh, either but that or some other publication that they have out. But, I mean, like, they're not shy about this. They actually are doing this to basically scare
2: capital to be like, you need more of our our work. Yeah. Absolutely. But one thing that was also I that we just found out about this Friday, Starbucks actually finally sent out requests to each union store to set up a time for bargaining meetings. Whoa. Only, you know, about a year after the union drive started. <laughs> uh, up to this point, only three of the unionized stores, which is again over 200, uh, have held their first bargaining session. So like, the only reason this is happening, because they basically sent out emails to all the stores saying, hey, uh... You guys keep talking about bargaining. We should probably set up a time for that. Um, And the only reason this is happening is because of the nationwide pressure put on them. They would have been more than happy to never hold these. And, I mean, of course, we have to remain very skeptical on whether they're just going to hold one meeting and then say, see, we're bargaining in good faith. We held a meeting one meeting right. ever we never agreed to on anything but that's why you know all these strikes all this community pressure doing things like signing the no contract no coffee pledge like supporting your local unionizing starbucks going to a sip in or just you know ordering a A a drink that has, you know, your name is Union Strong or Union Yes on it. or Like, we got to keep doing this stuff because the only way we're going to be able to actually get a a national contract for all these Starbucks workers is sustained pressure from both the workers themselves and from the broader community. So, really good to see that they've already been forced to do this. And, of course, uh, you know, it wouldn't be another week without some more Starbucks Workers United victories just a couple this week, but it did push them to another nice round number. So, over the past week, I've, I was able to find two union victories for Starbucks. You had first uh, a very small Starbucks. Uh, work, workers at the Cross Gates Mall location in Albany, New York, voted four to one in favor of joining the union. And then workers at the Shepherd and Herald store in Houston voted 11 to three in favor of the union, which gives Houston their first unionized store in the city and brings the movement as a whole up to 240 unionized stores across the country. That is a the nice
0: round that, number.
1: Yeah, the fact that there are only 5 people who voted in that election make me think that there are actually only like maybe 7 eligible workers and that that yeah. store is only open like what, 8 hours a day because with 7 workers you would need at least 2 or 3 workers per day I and mean, like that that place must be immensely Overworked. I mean, like, yeah, those, it, for
2: sure.
0: I, I'm I'm almost surprised it's not a licensed store. It seems like, especially because yeah. it's in a mall, a lot of stores like that. Starbucks will just license out and have the mall operate it. But in any case, I'm glad they're a corporate store because it allows them to join uh, in, in this in this movement. I, I think the situation for licensed store employees is that like if you're in a Target, you have to unionize with the other workers at the Target, which can get kind of tricky. Usually. Yeah, so it's difficult. I bet you could
1: get around that. You mean like the the union itself classifies itself as, you know, who the workers are. I mean, you, I, I think I think that technically there's a way around that. It might there, just there be might hard. Be, but
0: the, the NLRB would probably give make you jump through a lot of fucking weird-ass hoops. And, uh-huh, yeah. yeah. But anyway, the I mean, besides, you
1: know, labor law speculation, let's do right. our, <laughs> our, our labor image speculation in the meme review.
2: That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so this first one I thought was very funny, although I guess it, it, it brought up some... Uh, some bad memories from working at Starbucks for for oh, Lena. Oh, it's
1: not just Starbucks. It is. It is ever <laughs> like so many places that I've worked. But you can do the image description, and then I'll complain. <laughs> so,
2: <laughs> so this is just a, basically a screen grab from a TikTok, and it's a guy just standing in his own kitchen pouring himself some coffee. Caption: Walking around my house, like who the fuck closed last night? <laughs> oh. Yeah, uh,
1: no, like uh. I don't know. I just the I think it's. Cute, I guess the thing that I just as someone who consistently gets fucked with closing shifts, despite not being a person who does well in closing shifts, uh, mostly because I'm better at getting up and starting working and then, you know, using my later time of the day to to, you know, work on my other self-improvement projects or whatever. uh, The amount of times that I personally have been blamed for a bad close are uncountable like and it was not my fault. I was understaffed every single time.
0: I feel like, that I, every day when I wake up in my house I'm like damn, I could use like two more employees. Like
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. No, so I just when it, when people talk about like, oh, who the fuck closed last night? I'm like, it was probably me and it was probably just me and one other person and we needed right. six people.
0: <laughs> no, nah, I feel that for sure. Well, speaking of things that I feel for sure, uh, this next one is just a photo of some of a defaced ad that it looks like someone took a photo of from a bus or a subway car. And it says uh, it's like the the corp- very corporate art style of a person sitting on the computer and a person walking up to them waving. It says, Envoy, make your workplace work better. And then someone's just sharpied in at the end, go on strike. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's how you yeah, make your workplace now- better. It's true. This is some very high-quality vandalism. Yeah. I, 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 I appreciate vandalism that has a specific social goal as its endpoint. <laughs> Definitely took it to the right level on this one. That's right.
1: Yeah. Well, and then to go to the things that I can very much so relate to in relation to, you know, kind of to my complaints of the first meme, uh, we've got a, a real reminder for you folks out there, and I'm sure that you get this all the time. Maybe there are even some jokes passed around. It's not funny. It's not funny. We have this reminder here to lift with your knees and not with your back. And we have this really great model here of the Scream character lifting a dead body, bending (laughs) over, with lifting with their back. Not good. Then we have another one with them lifting with their legs, back straight. Perfect. This is how we do it, folks. It's spooky season, and so we (laughs) lift... with our legs.
0: Yeah, we're not make, we're not here to make light of this. You're laughing? I have sciatica and you're laughing?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Remember folks, your company will find any way they possibly can to get out of paying for any care you need if you injure yourself at work, mm-hmm. so it's in your own best interest to keep yourself from hurting yourself. That's
0: right. <laughs> and uh, then we move on to a classic. I can't even see uh, his name on there. It is teenage stepdad, but I knew who it was right away uh, because this this high level of unironic graphic design is my passion. Only comes from one source, uh, and so this is like a 1980s magazine cover looking meme, yeah. and it says uh, in big keyboard buttons at the top, "Fuck work," <laughs> and then the little the little banners like, "Is this it? Is this life? I'd rather focus exclusively on existing, loafing, vibing." Volume four twenty number sixty nine will Hell. not be checking <laughs> fucking, and then they're doing the two color headline thing. Emails today. <laughs> God damn, I love s- doing stupid bullshit for zero money. And then it's got a little computer screen that says, please choose one. Make money or die. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you, I like that even in the like little barcode, he put in a thing that says, whoever invented money can fuck off. Yeah.
1: There's a little 69 on that one, too. It's pretty nice.
2: Yeah, gotta love it. <laughs> I mean... That is something I think that we can really point to. One of the biggest problems with capitalist society is its antagonism towards loafing. Yeah, it's true.
0: And loitering.
2: Yeah, my vibing level gets like so
1: immense. And I mean, without, you know, labor struggle, I will just be forced to not vibe as much.
2: That's right. Yeah. (laughs) Be revolutionary. Loaf
0: more. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Good God. People are like, why are you a communist, John? And I'm like, you know, I just really like spending time in the hammock. You ever been in a hammock? (laughs) (laughs) It's really nice. (laughs) Yeah. That's right.
1: Mm. This next one, uh, I think I pulled from like the useless, unsuccessful, unpopular memes page yeah. on fi- <laughs> Facebook, uh, and I just liked it because it's got this really cute little axolotl on it, and and I just like the the looks of these things. They're so cute, uh, and also it's got a, a nice little thing. So it's a two panel with the axolotl. It just says axolotl questions get a lotl answers, and. Then, <laughs> I don't know. I just liked it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I like it too. Axolotls, (laughs) they're cute, but they're weird looking. And don't they only live in like one body of water somewhere in South America? Yeah, they're pretty. They're pretty rare.
1: They would. They would be endangered. They are endangered in their natural habitat, um, but they also are very popular pets, and so technically, they are not endangered for that reason. But I don't think that that's a very good reason to not have them on the endangered species list.
0: No, yeah, I think saying they're not endangered because we domesticated most of the living ones is kind of a cop-out. Uh. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, with that, we will wrap the episode. We want to thank you all for listening, and if you want to support the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash workstoppage. Give us $5 a month and get access to all of our awesome overtime sh- episodes, the interviews that we did, and, uh, I mean, just all sorts of other things. You can It'll give you the ability to message us for stickers, Which I will get out sometime soon. We have received your messages, Uh, and then jump in the (laughs) Discord. And uh, I don't know if you want to, if you're trying to figure out where to see, like, if you have different places you want to check out our stuff. You can get all of the links to our social media page on our website at workstoppagepod.com. You can follow John at Facebook Villain. Follow the pod at Work Stoppage Pod. Listen to Beep Beep Lettuce. Listen to Red Game Table. And as always, labor peace is not in our interest and solidarity forever.
0: Solidarity, everyone. Solidarity, everybody. Castle, 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 can't castle, 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 can't castle, 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 Oh no no